Now entering the Bitcoin Podcast Network. Welcome to Hashing It Out, a podcast where we talk to the tech innovators behind blockchain infrastructure and decentralized networks. We dive into the weeds to get at why and how people build this technology and the problems they face along the way. Come listen and learn from the best in the business so you can join their ranks. All right, hashing it out, episode 30, 30, it's probably 37 or 38. We had some delay with our previous episode, so it's kind of waiting in the queue. It's either 37 or 38 when we release it. Hello, I am Colin Couchet. Welcome to the podcast, and I have the great pleasure of introducing you guys to uh, Omer Shlomovitz, co-founder of Kezen, uh, cryptography expert. Uh, multi-party computation expert, and uh, he gave a fantastic talk at uh, SBC, but unfortunately, he was the last present presenter, and it wasn't really fair. I felt like, the, you know, he gave a really good good presentation, and uh, I want to give him a, an opportunity to reach our audience with this presentation, because the last talk was right after Vitalik, and everybody kind of left the room. It was like half half full. Uh, I felt like that was just total injustice because they're working on some really awesome and interesting things over there at Kazan, and I uh, had a really great conversation with Omer. So, um, you know, I just, I, I, I figured that this would be a good opportunity for you to kind of hash out what you, what you were saying for that half hour in an hour to our wider audience. So, Omer, why don't you open with just telling us a little about yourself and, and what you're doing? Sure. So, uh, thank you for having me first. And also a comment about um, SBC talk. I don't think it's unfortunate that I spoke less. Uh, specifically, I got some some good words from Dan Bonnet, which is, uh, I guess, what you can call a lifetime achievement unlocked. So uh, <laughs> Dan Bonnet is the professor for cryptography in Stanford. So this is this is about that. So uh, yeah, my name is Omer. I'm currently a co-founder of a, a company, a startup based in Israel, named Kazen, Kazen Networks. We are dealing with uh, key management systems based on multi-party computation. Uh, I'm also a co-founder of a community here in Israel and, and kind of uh, maybe a bit global uh, that focus on zero knowledge and privacy technologies. So we have four, 400 members and we are um, having meetups uh, once a month. And uh, uh, you can check it out, uh, the Facebook group and, and the meetup group and uh, videos as well. Yeah, we'll provide those links in the show notes. So Thanks. Cool. So your talk was about uh, building a more minimalistic, more user-friendly scheme for crypto wallets. Um, and I thought it was particularly interesting. Um, you're, you, you went over some topics that I am not particularly strong in myself, and it actually got me kind of looking into them a little more. Um, one of them is just, you know, more depth knowledge of secret sharing using threshold s signatures. Um, and I, I want you to kind of step us through the process of what you're proposing um, with, uh, with that talk and kind of uh, what you think you, you're doing better than the current system, systems that are in place. 
Yeah, sure. So uh, I think that um, the few words, uh, uh, few, uh, I, I, we can start with some background uh, on a few topics. So first of all, um, as I said, we're dealing, or I'm dealing with uh, key management systems, meaning that uh, eventually it means that you have some kind of a secret that uh, you need to manage. And uh, in the specific use case of blockchains, uh, this secret is kind of it, it's tricky because if you want to just keep it safe, then you'd store it like someplace uh, that no one can uh, ever touch it and uh, what uh, would call uh, cold storage and would be done with it. But uh, in the blockchain case, you do need to use this secret information. Uh, and the way that you are using it is by uh, signing on some kind of statements uh, that uh, and the process of doing these uh, signatures uh, evolved the, uh, the use of the private key. So this is kind of a trade-off. And the first trade-off that I, uh, I touched um, that uh, is between the security and the usability of, of the key management system or the KMS. And what we are, try what we are trying to do is to, uh, to kind of take uh, a different look on, on this problem. So we are, start we are starting from the basics uh, and trying a new paradigm that is based on uh, threshold signing, uh, which uh, we can probably uh, go into much more depth about uh, in a moment. And using this threshold signing, we are trying to provide uh, what is, I guess, a better usability uh, and also to, to give uh, some, uh, some improvements to the security aspects of the key management. So uh, to explain a bit more about threshold signatures, uh, uh, we can maybe start with uh, existing technology um, in, in, in blockchain today for key management. So what is, uh, I mean, the, uh, in the most basic level, what uh, functionality that every blockchain uh, would provide is, uh, um, is, is a way to verify the, sig the, the, the signatures. So meaning that the blockchain doesn't really care how you generate your uh, uh, digital signatures, but uh, the miner or the, the blockchain maintainer, maintainers uh, would be the ones that will verify it, and the verification would be the same um, no matter what. So there are a few blockchains, um, Bitcoin as uh, the first example, uh, that can support uh, a more elaborate verification scheme, which is what we call a multi-signature. So in this case, you want to verify not a single sing a signature, but uh, a multiple signatures at the same time. So you can attach a statement or transaction to, uh, to a set of public keys, such that the verification will be that this transaction is valid only if you see uh, some kind of access structure that is uh, dependent on uh, all of the public keys uh, or signing using uh, uh, private keys that correspond to public keys uh, in this manner. So this can happen in, in, there are some blockchains that support this type of multi-signature or multi-sig. Uh, they support, support it natively. This is part of the application of the software that uh, is part of the blockchain. There are, on the other end, some blockchains that do not support it at all, that you cannot actually do a multi-sig. To give an example, Zcash. In Zcash, you cannot do a shielded transaction with uh, a multi-signature in this uh, in this manner. Uh, and there are also uh, all sorts of uh, in the middle. Like in Ethereum, you should you need to 
write a smart contract to implement this type of multi-signature. Uh, and uh, in Bitcoin, there's uh, the script language that you need to use. So it's really different, it's different between blockchains how to do this uh, multi-signature, if it's possible at all. Now, uh, threshold signatures, and here I will just give like uh, what, like I guess the end result, but there are a lot more details that we can uh, talk about in, in, this, in this regard. Uh, is something that will just uh, is, is not depend is independent in, of the blockchain in the blockchain application. Meaning that you don't really care if you are using uh, a script, uh, a smart contract, if it's uh, if multisig is natively supported or if it's not supported. You are just messing with the cryptography layer, which is uh, basic elliptic cryptography and uh, elliptic cryptography, and this is part of every blockchain. So. Uh, so threshold cryptography or threshold signatures is uh, how you can get the same functionality, I would say, as uh, a multi-sig, but uh, unanimously for all blockchains. So to add support uh, for uh, Ethereum would be the same as to do it for Bitcoin. You don't need to write a special smart contract. You are completely independent of the application of the blockchain and just rely on the fact that all blockchains uh, utilize uh, the same type of cryptography. This is, uh, I think, like the major, uh, the major aspect. There are uh, quite more. Uh, there are a lot more differences actually uh, between uh, multi-signatures and 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 threshold sig uh, multi-signatures, multi-signs, and, and threshold signatures. Uh, there are, I would say, advantages and, and disadvantages. It's it's uh, uh, it depends on what you try to achieve. Yeah, so <clears throat> let's let's break down kind of the scheme of multisig here. I mean, most people know it at this point. Um, I think that are in the space, uh, but basically, you in order for a transaction to be signed, multiple parties have to send their own signature, which means those signatures have to be some you know stored or verified in some sort of trustless mechanism like the blockchain, or um, there has to be some sort of third party which can check the multi-signatures and then sign off on it. Or in the case of Ethereum, it's like a smart contract, which only enables if the valid signatures are actually sent from, or not even sent, they're most like, it's like a transaction which activates you know, a Boolean true-false, yes, this is valid, based off of the number of people that actually sign off on it due to the logic of the contract itself. Um, yeah. This, of course, has storage um, uh, implications, um, and, uh, but it, it provides a level of flexibility in that you can do things like, uh, RBAC, uh, role-based access control surrounding the multi-sig so that you must have, there could be like a super user or something that's required in order to do like a, uh, you know, a three of four, uh, signing. So you need to have at least one super user and then two other users in order to do the signing. Um, uh, but that's not really how threshold works. So in threshold signatures, from what I understand, and please correct me if I'm wrong, it's basically everybody signs the same piece of data uh, multiple, you know, multiple times. So like party A signs once, party B signs once, and party C signs once. And if you only need three signatures, once you have all those three signatures signing the same piece of data over and over again, you actually creating the final signature, which can be committed to the blockchain and signs signs the actual transaction. Is that correct? So uh, I want to um, 
what, what I'm taking from your question is uh, actually I want to refer to two points. One is about access structures and one is about the definition of digital signatures and the difference between the definition, the classical one, and the threshold one. So first, uh, staying at the high level, access structure, or if you want a signature, which is uh, any T out of N, it might be 2 out of 2, it might be 2 out of 3, it might be uh, some, I don't know, 5 out of 8. This is something that can be achievable in general uh, using uh, smart contract in Ethereum, like the example you gave. Uh, it, doesn't require, it doesn't require any uh, trust, any trustless coordination. Uh, it usually what it means is that uh, once the contract is deployed, so you, uh, you need to uh, accumulate these signatures until you get uh, five of them, let's say in the five out of eight example, and then you can just, uh, uh, you can just do it, you can just uh, send it, uh, and then like you said, a, bo a Boolean uh, would become from zero to one and everything would be fine. This, uh, this, however, in multisig has some kind of implications, uh, as you said. Uh, so there is some kind of uh, uh, space requirements. There's also the security issue of, of smart contracts. Uh, there's also kind of a visibility. So uh, the blockchain has some kind of uh, understanding that this is a contract for five out of eight, uh, let's say, type of multi-signature. Uh, and also in, in, in Bitcoin, there also might be a cost implication to it because the transaction uh, would be uh, in, on a larger size. So uh, all of this implication uh, can be compared to what we'll get with threshold signatures. So with threshold signatures, you can, again, technically or theoretically achieve any access structure you want. And again, access structure can also be a complex one. Like you need one authorization and another five out of eight authorizations and uh, I mean one authorization from a specific public key and another five out of eight from a different eight public keys something like that. it can be very very complex uh, access structure what we get using threshold signatures and, and in a second I will explain why uh, and how we get it is uh, so first of all the transaction will look uh, the same so because uh, you are changing only the cryptographic layer uh, it's kind of underneath the application of the blockchain. The transaction will look like a single uh, uh, signer. Uh, so in terms of privacy, in terms of uh, transaction size, uh, you get it, um, uh, you get it uh, like any other transaction. Also, in terms of uh, privacy, uh, the observer uh, from the blockchain uh, point of view will not be able to tell what the access structure was. Okay, so here you get some kind of advantages on, of using threshold signatures. Now, I want to explain a bit, uh, maybe uh, this will be starting from the basics about digital signatures. I think it will uh, make uh, some things clear. So digital signature algorithm uh, is a set of uh, three protocols. One is the key generation, the second is the signing, and the third is the verification. Now, key generation is, is uh, in, in the single key case, is simply uh, the way to generate in a random private key and the corresponding public key. Okay, now you must have a key generation before you can have uh, you can do uh, any signing or verification operations. A signing is uh, a private operation. It's something that you can do using your uh, private or secret key when you sign over a message. And verification takes the public key for the same secret key and the message and the signature and outputs a Boolean one if the signature is verified, if, if everything's okay, if 
the statement is indeed uh, was signed using the the signature and and the, the secret key. So without revealing the secret key, you can just do it. Now, threshold signatures uh, is where you change two out of these three protocols. So you need to do a threshold key generation, and then you need to do a threshold signing. So first of all, verification stays the same. Okay. So uh, this is, uh, and this is what gets you uh, what I mentioned before at the high level that any access structure you, uh, you'd use in threshold signatures, you'd still get the same, uh, what would look like a single uh, signer transaction and, and a regular transaction on the blockchain. Uh, and this is because verification would stay the same. So uh, again, what you are trying to achieve in verification, you're trying to get one signature as opposed to a multi-signature in the multi-sig case. So we need to get one signature. So first of all, you are generating, uh, uh, you're doing some form of threshold key generation or distributed key generation, which is the process where, uh, let's say, n parties can uh, jointly generate uh, a public key, one public key, and each one will get uh, some secret data. Okay, uh, and then the signing, the threshold signing, meaning is the protocol where uh, the input will be the secret data of all of the signers, of all of the end parties, or some threshold number out of them. And the output will be this single signature uh, that uh, would be possible to verify using the public key. I hope that uh, answers your question. Yes, it does. <clears throat> so um, so I am actually familiar with ECDKG, um, elliptical curve, you know, distributed key generation. Um, and that is done completely like off-chain. Um, and so you need to build a system which can actually interact with uh, other people who are uh, enabled and have permission to create that, uh, that key. Um, and then there's all permission layers around that. So, uh, you know, uh, that means, but the, the thing is, this is a point you brought up a second ago, um, is that uh, you do not need to trust any of these systems, but there is some sort of setup process for that. Um, so with regard to your talk, how does that setup kind of work and what does it look like and how do you get these keys into the hands of people? And like, what, what is your, what is, what are you working on with regard to that? Okay. So, uh, this is a very good question. Um, uh, as you mentioned, uh, distributed key generation, uh, is, uh, one instance of a multi-party computation, uh, we can say, and, in multi-party computation, uh, you know what? Maybe it's it's a good time to just define what it is. Uh, so basically, it's it's uh, you have uh, a function, uh, and you want, uh, and it's a protocol between n participants and parties and players, and uh, each player gets or each party gets to own a secret data, and the guarantees that you're getting from any MPC protocol is that all parties uh, would get. To see the output of the function on their secret data okay so this is a function of the secret data of all the end parties but uh, the secret data will not get exposed to other parties so each party gets the guarantee that the uh, one is called correctness where the computation will be correct assuming that you uh, you run the protocol according to uh, to the spec and the second is the privacy aspect meaning that your data will not get leaked now this is, uh, as you pointed out, uh, exactly a distributed uh, protocol. So everything that we know in distributed computing 
uh, applies here. Now, how do you uh, do it? It's, it's a good question. And also, and honestly, I, I would say that uh, we found out that this is uh, even something that is, is kind of missing in, in the space today, how to just do a good multi-party computation, like a general framework for multi-party computation. Uh, so what usually people uh, end up with is uh, doing expensive uh, zero knowledge uh, sort of protocols to compensate for it. So this is like uh, in one of the research directions that we are investigating is exactly this uh, communication layer for MPC uh, type of uh, protocols. Uh, we're trying to build uh, for our purposes something and we try to make it, of course it's open source and we try to make it uh, uh, try to make it uh, such that uh, anyone that has some kind of multi-party computation that he needs to run uh, can use this type of uh, framework. And I could go into more details about it uh, if, if you want later. But to be, uh, so, so how, how, how is distributed key generation is, is uh, when threshold signatures are uh, multi-party computation. So you have, uh, what, what you have is that you can just, uh, you end up in distributed key generation, you end up with uh, uh, each party gets uh, to choose randomly some kind of input. This will be, uh, we can call it the secret share of this party. And the output of the distributed key generation will be a public key. So the function here that all parties want to compute together is the public key, is a single one. And you need to compute it in such a way uh, that uh, it will be a function of all secret shares of the parties. And, uh, and now you, we can also, in this, uh, uh, using this, this, the same abstraction we can also of MPC, we can also describe uh, the second protocol of signing, of threshold signing, which is you have as input uh, uh, your secret share, and, and again, you don't want it to leak, and the output will be uh, uh, a digital signature over uh, a specific message. So all the parties will get uh, to see the signature, and one of them will will need to publish it to the blockchain, but uh, the signatures will remain and, and will not get leaked outside uh, or to other par participants uh, in the protocol. Now, it's true that uh, you kind of assume in, in general in cryptography that you have some kind of like what's called the PKI or a public key infrastructure, meaning that if you and I are uh, running a protocol, so I need to make sure that you are you and you need to make sure that uh, uh, the opposite, that I'm me, and that we're actually communicating with each other. So uh, this is kind of uh, assumption that usually in cryptographic system you just assume that you have. Uh, it's easier to reason about it in, in the blockchain um, uh, use case because the blockchain can be sort of a public infrastructure, meaning I can say to you, look, I'm going to use a public key that is on the blockchain and to prove to you that I know the secret key to this public key. And this will be like my secret share, the secret key. Now, uh, so it means that publicly anyone can use it and, and I just need to, to somehow prove to you that this is me. Uh, and I can do it by showing, by providing you some kind of proof uh, that I know the, the private key. Still, it's, it's, uh, it's an open question, uh, or it's not an open question, but this is kind of an assumption of the system and also in, in my talk in, in, in Stanford, this was uh, kind of an underlying assumption that parties that are jointly running the protocol, uh, the end parties or later the, the threshold parties, uh, have some kind of uh, way to know what is the other party's public key. So again, they don't know 
any secret data of the other parties, but they do know some public information about them, which uh, we hope it's, it's a reasonable assumption. So they use that public information to kind of do the whole setup process so that you can agree on what is essentially the new public key that would be used to for signing. Is that correct? Yes, yes, exactly. Okay. And how do you leverage that to do... So you're building a network that can actually handle that. Is that correct? Is that what you're kind of like working on or that aspect uh, of it? So it's, um, I, I mean... It's not it's not accurate because uh, to build like a full blown uh, network uh, with uh, that can run general and party computation, this is something that I think uh, it, it's very complex to do. I mean, there are a lot of mechanics that that you need to understand and what type of protocols and uh, what the purpose that you want to do. So in in our products, uh, we are we started. I mean, even like from research perspective, we started looking. Um, just on the simple case of two out of two, of you have two parties, and uh, and they want to jointly uh, produce a signature, uh, meaning that they will also run a, a distributed key generation, uh, but between two parties, and it means that you also need the two parties to collaborate in in both cases, in the key generation and in the signing. This is uh, the two out of two case. Now we started with this because, as I said. This is the simplest you can get in, in threshold uh, cryptography, which is uh, 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 which is again it's 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 a complex topic and and to uh, to actually do in practice uh, in the general case to give an example right now there's a kind of standardization or, or some effort for NIST from the the national standardization uh, uh, authority to to kind of like do a uh, to, to look to look at practical threshold cryptography and try to understand how to measure it. I mean, there are a lot of open questions about how to measure it, uh, uh, if there can be any standard about how to do it. So they are organizing actually a workshop, I think, uh, in, in, a few, in a few weeks. Uh, and this is like, it's going to be an ongoing effort. So we looked at, we are looking at the two-party case. And what we noticed is that, is that uh, we can first, uh, from the network perspective, what you ask, you can just uh, kind of use a classical network uh, architecture of a client and server, right? This is uh, what we know to do, uh, uh, what everyone knows to do best. Uh, this is, uh, the engineers understand it. So uh, if you have two parties, only two parties, you don't really need all the distributed setup and, uh, uh, and complex network uh, uh, machinery. You can just have one party to be a server, the second to the, the other party to be a client, and you can get uh, off the shelf like protocols uh, for the communication layer, I mean, not the cryptography, not the cryptography, but the communication layer. So this is something that uh, you can get very easily. So it, it helped us a lot in, in building uh, the product. Uh, but we also noticed that this still opens up uh, a lot of room for uh, for research and for, uh, uh, I mean, moving to this paradigm of uh, instead of have, having like a private key or a set of a uh, few public or a few private keys just have uh, one distributed private key is, is open up uh, open up a lot of interesting research questions and, and also uh, challenges so uh, I guess what we try to what I try to explain uh, in my talk at, at, at SBC was one of the challenges that it brought up and how we managed to try to uh, to solve it 
Uh, but again, there, there are also many opportunities about it. So we are actually looking at a network um, that has uh, two types of um, actors. One is like servers and one are clients in, in, in a sense. And the, the server and the client both needs, uh, you need both to, to run a key generation and, and threshold signing. Now, I, I'm trying to recall your talk a little better. I'm sorry about that. Um, I remember there was something where you had is, you identified some particular issues with the traditional scheme with regard to that, and that there was a an owner of the key that was kind of like initiating the whole key share process, which yeah. you might want to go mm -hmm. through as well. And then there was a problem where, what if that owner disappears? How can I recover our, our secret shares, right? Um, so I was wondering yeah, if maybe yeah. you could go through some of that uh, with, with the audience. Yeah, sure, sure. So uh, so you have a good memory, so it's, it's uh, fantastic. And uh, indeed, one of the challenges that you get in this uh, two-party setting, so eventually uh, you, we are talking about key management systems. So you are uh, a private owner and you want to have your key managed in a secure and and uh, and also usable way, meaning that you you still want to have some kind of control when uh, signatures are happening. You don't want someone else to decide it for you. Okay, you don't want to give uh, authorization or to give just anyone uh, to do the private the, the key management for you. So you need to have some control of the usability, uh, but you still want to get this distributed security, meaning that uh, you still want to have uh, this property that an attacker. I uh, would have to attack two places, uh, and I, I would also add at the same time, because this is like one of the uh, benefits that you get from using this type of schemes. So you don't want to have, uh, you still want to have an attacker that uh, needs to attack two places at the same time to get, uh, uh, if he wants to get your private key. So uh, one of the challenges here is, is, is regarding the recovery, meaning so there are actually, instead of one problem of recovery, which is what you have in the single uh, key case, uh, when, where you just need to recover your own key, now it's, it's uh, a two-fold party. It's a two-fold problem where, uh, where uh, you need to find some way uh, to recover in, if something happens to your uh, secret share. And you also need to find a way to recover if something happens to the uh, other party secret share. Right? Uh, I mean... This is, uh, and this is again, the, uh, like you said, the concept of ownership, because we yeah. assume that in the system there's one owner. Okay, there's no, you, you cannot divide ownership. So you can divide private key, but you, you can divide, you cannot divide ownership. So there's one owner, but two signatures. And this owner, and the owner was defined by us uh, as, as the one that puts money into the system or puts some asset or do a transaction inside to, to, uh, to the system. Uh, so he has some kind of stake in the system. He has some kind of um, assets that belongs to him, and he just wants to get this better security. So, uh, what we uh, what we focused on the, uh, in the talk was uh, in in the case where the owner wants to recover the other party uh, secret share. Uh, if something happens to the other party, like it was uh, denial of uh, there was denial of service on the other party for for a long time, there's a lot of attacks that you can describe. If someone just attacked or, or hacked the other party. You need to find a way to defend yourself and to uh, get your money outside of the system and move it to another system. So this is the question that we dealt with. And, and uh, uh, the way that uh, uh, we looked or we tried to tackle it is by first 
making some kind of assumption on uh, on how the, the the server and the client are uh, uh, positioned uh, in regard to each other, meaning that we assume that we have one server and the server would never be an owner. It, it would be like a service provider. This is the name that we gave to him, meaning that his entire uh, role in life is to assist owners to get this extra layer of security. And you can reason why this will be a, uh, this will be a valid use case because uh, it, it can be, a, you, you can incentivize them in, in a sense, meaning that uh, let's say that he gets part of every transaction like goes to him or something like this. Uh, at the end, he's going to be part of every transaction, meaning he's, he, you need to approve every transaction. So this is uh, kind of uh, what made sense to us that you can, uh, let's say that uh, he can be incentivized to have one server and many owners connected to him. And it also do not, it's, it, there's no any, there, there's, there isn't any effect on, on the security because each owner will uh, work with the server separately. So they are not connected in any way. Each owner will run a two out of two key generation with the server, uh, with the same server or service provider. Uh, and the service provider eventually will hold uh, this, uh, will hold many signatures that belongs to many uh, owners, but uh, you cannot do anything with, with, uh, with them without the signatures of, of the owners. So if you attack just the server, you, 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 uh, it it's, might be better from attacking an owner because you get a lot of signatures, but it still gets you nothing uh, because uh, first you need to also attack an owner to get the full private key. And also because of this mechanism for, for recovery that we built. So under the assumption that uh, there are many owners to one service provider, now uh, we kind of like, uh, uh, it opened up uh, a lot of possibilities. To, uh, the, the research problem was how to generate a protocol that uh, will require uh, a collaboration among uh, all the owners under the same service provider, such that all of them would be able to, at the same time, uh, get out of the system. So the system is service provider and many owners, and you want uh, to have all the owners, let's say that uh, they understand that something happened to their service provider. So they would be able to kind of like uh, do a, a voting and decide that, okay, they want to withdraw uh, all of them at the same time and move to another system. So it makes sense that all of the, that they will have uh, uh, aligned incentives because all of them have some kind of stake in the system. And we assume that it's kind of like an equal stake in the system. So all of them would have the same incentive to move out uh, at the same time, or at least if, if there is enough, uh, if, if there is a big enough quorum that wants to do, uh, to do it. Uh, so they would just vote and do, and, and do this uh, massive withdrawal. And the nice thing about the protocol is that uh, we made sure that uh, it will work no matter what. So no one can cheat them. So the service provider, uh, at the moment when you do this two out of two key generation, he also gives some more information to each owner that will allow this type of massive exit. So uh, describe your protocol a little more depth. Like what, what do you, what do you, what do you, uh, what do you, like from a user story perspective, how is people, how are people supposed to interact with, with what you're currently doing? How, how would you like, how do you expect the users to understand this? And what, what do you feel like, uh, uh, you know, the, how do you explain to them the uh, security model behind this? Yeah, so uh, excellent question. I, I would first want to comment that this is, uh, in, in, in case and in general, 
uh, I would say we have uh, the product that we are building that is like inspired by the technologies that we are uh, now discussing, and we have the research. And what we showed at, uh, at SBC was uh, an ongoing research. This is like uh, a paper that uh, uh, we worked on, uh, and there are a few papers uh, or research directions like that that we can, uh, of course, uh, describe as well, like how to do atomic swaps using threshold cryptography, how to do uh, payment channel networks using uh, cryptography, uh, threshold cryptography, all sorts of uh, interesting stuff like this. So this is kind of uh, uh, not the main focus right now of what we are doing in the product, meaning that in the product, uh, we do uh, want to have uh, this type of uh, unconditional recovery, and in the product, we of course like, like uh, and, and it's maybe uh, it, it's my bad because I started to explain like the practical aspects of working with the two two out of two scenario, uh, and uh, this is but what led us to do this research. So in uh, in the product, we do work with two out of two uh, uh, threshold signatures uh, to support blockchains, and uh, in the product, we do want to provide this. Uh, I guess the same. Um, guarantees uh, about recovery and, and, and exit, but it will be much, uh, much more easy to explain because uh, uh, I agree that uh, this talk was more uh, aimed for, uh, for cryptographers uh, or for distributed systems guy, and uh, the purpose was to, uh, to, to create this discussion around it. In, oh, I got you. So it's product, not really imperative to your protocol at the moment, but it's something that you guys are kind of researching on the side. Is that correct? Yes, yes. We are doing, in general, research on, on threshold cryptography cross-section with uh, blockchain. Uh, okay. And, and what we are doing in the product in, in terms of recovery is, uh, so again, we, we do need to handle these two types of uh, different types of recovery. One is, is what I called in the talk self-recovery, so how the owner can recover his own secret share. And the second part is how you can do this uh, server-side recovery. So what if something happens to the server, how you can recover. And uh, the nice thing is that in real life, uh, you have all sorts of uh, uh, cool other technologies that are on a higher level than the cryptography. So, uh, I mean, what we try to describe in, in the talk is how you can solve this using nothing but the same assumption of cryptography that you are already using. So if you are just stuck on an island and you, all you got is, uh, the only weapon you got is, is threshold cryptography, this is how you probably want to play it. But in real life, you have, uh, uh, you have mobile devices uh, which have uh, uh, secure elements inside of them. Uh, you have uh, um, uh, servers uh, with backups and with uh, some third parties uh, uh, um, uh, solutions that can help. So we are providing uh, the same guarantees uh, in the product and how to actually convey it from user experience to the user, this is a fantastic question. I mean, right now we are uh, in, in kind of a, a private beta going to launch in, in, in a few weeks. Uh, let's, say, uh, let's say Q2 of, of, uh, of this year. And this is kind of the question that we are trying to, to tackle because the technology, stack is, the, the, the technology stack is there and now we're trying to actually see how uh, this can be uh, conveyed in, in, in an easy way uh, to the user. But yes, in, in the product, uh, we do handle um, recovery for both sides uh, of, of the equation. I mean, to do the self-recovery and to do the server-side recovery. 
So, <clears throat> you know, most people when they hear like multi uh, multi party computation, they don't think about threshold signatures because the word it's the phrase itself kind of evokes this concept of a world. You know, many 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 computers operating on the same problem. If that makes sense. Yeah. Um, but the reason that I think that I think we need to kind of extrapolate on on why things like ECDKG uh, and and threshold signatures in general are are um, are a multi party computation tool and almost fundamental like um, what, what's the word first not first principle but basic like a um, basic first citizen. what's that first citizen. Sure. Uh, yeah, it's it's like a it's like an atomic like you know base structure for this kind of stuff is because well let's just let's just look at the use case of file encryption. Okay. Okay. Um, mm -hmm. Let's just say you took a, a a file and you wanted to store it in IPFS and you wanted to encrypt it and you wanted to grant access to certain people. Um, but you don't want those people to have the ability to just um, encrypt it without checking the network to see if they have the ability to encrypt it. Uh, a multi, a multi a threshold signature kind of like distributed key generation network can write, um, can, can distribute a key to a person who is authorized, meaning that they would hold the, the kind of gatekeeper status and you would need a certain, um, uh, quorum of these like key signers or key you know key shares in order to unlock the file, which means that it's very difficult to compromise the security of that file. Uh, you'd have to compromise pretty much the entire network, and that's kind of like one particular use case where it's it's interesting to me that threshold signatures are really a basic fundamental part uh, of of multi-party computation. I'm kind of curious, since you have a multi-party computation background, uh, if I recall. Um, so yeah. you you are um, you are pretty heavy in that space. Um, what what kind of excites you in that, and how are you seeing some of the work you're doing being applied in that space? Uh, so uh, thank you for this. Uh, thank you for this question. Uh, it's, uh... <laughs> I really uh, like it. So I, I, I think that uh, yes, we can start with um, uh, like uh, with the abstraction of, of what 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 you're trying to achieve actually with uh, this world threshold and and what what's happening here. So what what I'm claiming or what I want to claim is that uh, in order to do cryptography, you need trust or you need to have some kind of uh, source of trust in the world. So we touched it uh, uh, earlier. When we describe public infrastructure, uh, that uh, essentially all uh, uh, applied cryptography is, is relying on uh, when we're trying to now uh, do some kind of secure communication, we're relying on this. And uh, and and you know what? I mean, blockchain is a good good uh, source of trust. So this is kind of like uh, a massive scale uh, threshold system, meaning you have like. A massive set of validators, uh, and you know that what happens, what goes on the blockchain, uh, you have this kind of properties uh, that what goes on the blockchain will not be changed. Okay, if you look at enough, uh, 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 if you go to to the blockchain and, and look to the past, uh, and you go, uh, you go enough uh, to the past, nothing will change, and this is like a very strong guarantee. So 
this is, I would say, a uh, uh, very good, uh, in some sense, source of trust. Uh, you can also look at, at let's say, um, uh, what you do in, 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 a, in a payment channel or, or just, you know, a two-party payment channel. This is uh, the most basic, like, I would say, uh, source of trust between two people. You try to, uh, to trust that the other party will behave uh, uh, according to, to what you expect. So you don't, you, you don't have any margin here. It's not like a full-blown blockchain. But uh, what's nice about, let's say, Lightning Network or all sorts of like second-layer solution is that they found a connection between this uh, small-scale small uh, two-party uh, threshold system and the, the big blockchain. Meaning that if, you, if somehow someone cheated, then uh, you can go and, and, and uh, get a blockchain, which is a bigger source of trust that... Uh, it's easier to uh, that, that, uh, and, and, and try to resolve it using the bigger source of trust. So first of all, I, th I would say that threshold cryptography uh, is, is uh, or, or the next step would be to have this kind of like um, steps between the, uh, the small scale blockchains, like the two party, the, the payment channels, uh, and the large scale, the blockchain. So this is something that you need to convince yourself that you would be able to uh, uh, maybe uh, you'd be able to trust if uh, let's say that something goes wrong between a payment channel that we are doing. So instead of going straight away to the blockchain and, and, and you know and paying in time and money, you'd go to uh, a quorum of uh, uh, it's going to be a medium size let's say blockchain or a medium size uh, threshold signature or some kind of threshold cryptography protocol, and this will be the one that will resolve. Uh, the issue. And if they couldn't do it, then you uh, scale it up and go to the next uh, in the hierarchy until you get eventually to the blockchain. So what I'm saying is that uh, conceptually, uh, the way that we look at, at threshold cryptography in general is this, uh, this way to get all sorts of local island of trust uh, uh, that just don't exist today in the world. Let's say that uh, and again, this is something that uh, each one of us should convince himself. Right now, we are con we we convinced ourselves that uh, again in the centralized world that you have some kind of centralized authority that uh, can generate certificates, and uh, based on uh, the fact that you trust this centralized authority, uh, this what gives you the trust in the world. Uh, in the decentralized world, now we have the blockchains, but. Using threshold cryptography, you can be more flexible about it. Let's say, what if we, uh, I mean, uh, you should ask yourself whether you can trust, um, let's say, uh, a network of uh, 10 banks uh, across the world. That, uh, uh, and uh, again, you probably should uh, also reason about the, the incentives they have. But let's say that uh, if you can trust that at least five out of these 10 banks or 10, uh, I don't know, enterprises, uh, somehow uh, would be able to uh, generate a cryptographic protocol uh, 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 such that five out of them will, will be honest and will actually want uh, to do good and to play by the rules, then you're supposed to be good. You don't have to go all the way uh, to the blockchain. Okay, So this is like, uh, uh, I would say, uh, what, what inspires uh, what we are doing. And, and if we go back to our, like, even product, it means that uh, there is this kind of uh, 
service provider that we mentioned before, and uh, you and I both communicate with this service provider, and, bo and both of us, uh, under the, if we, uh, what I'm saying is that we built a protocol, let's say, for atomic swap that uh, needs to assume some kind of assumptions on this service provider. So we don't need to assume that uh, he can steal our money, okay? But we do need to assume that he, that he or uh, when I'm saying service provider, it can be, like, let's say, a network of uh, 20 service providers that are running a threshold cryptography protocol among themselves. We, we, we both of us uh, convinced ourselves that we trust, we trust them uh, at the same level. Uh, that uh, 10 of the, out of these 20 will play by the rules. Uh, and if we can assume this trust, we can have like atomic swap uh, for free. This is what, what I'm saying. And again, it's, it's valid for everything you can do with a blockchain, you can do with a smaller scale, assuming that you uh, uh, trust that, uh, you, that uh, the ones that run the protocol are distributed enough are, and are aligned in the, same, in, in the sense that uh, someone, uh, they are all incentivized to, to be honest. And then it's just a question of what can be attacked or not. And like, so this is kind of, I, I would say, I hope it was not too, too much high level or abstract, but... No, no, no. And, and to... what you're describing is basically what is commonly known as layer two solutions, right? I mean, it, it's, it's like plasma and general it's state exactly, channels. Exactly, exactly, yes. So, so plasma is using, but plasma is using uh, a smart contract or the blockchain, again, as, as the source of trust. And again, you have this kind of uh, uh, operator of, of this smart contract that you need to somehow trust it. All I'm saying is that you can replace, and, and by the way, uh, I, I, have this, I had a discussion uh, with one of the other uh, speakers in, 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 in SBC about it, the one that is working on, on Plasma. It's, it's basically, it's, yeah, it's, it's yeah, basically the, same, the same problem, uh, but I'm trying to replace this smart contract by doing something which is even... Uh, which is off-chain, and assume that you need to have some kind of threshold security to it. So the assumption is that you have threshold security, and if you're uh, happy with this assumption, yes, you can you can get this layer two. Yes. So, right. so I mean, there's there's the ideal scenario um, where um, you could build like a I don't know what to call it a uh, a committee a a collective a a uh, there's a there's a word I'm, and I'm missing it um, a cabal a a uh, consortium consortium that's okay. the word you build a consortium network um, and people can interact trustlessly within the consortium network um, but uh, the question is you know do you see that withstanding the test of social consequences meaning that let's say we're going into a trustless the idea is to stop depending on central authorities quite as much. I mean, if you look at the the actual uh, first genesis block of Bitcoin, I mean, it's a big middle finger to the banks um, where yeah. it's actually a headline encoded in it that says, uh, what is it, um, something like Prime Minister grants, you know, awards new um, relief to the banks or something like that. I can't remember. It's actually in my Twitter profile. I should pull that up. But uh, the, the, the point is, is that centralized authorities collude. Um, can we use these kind of schemes, do you think, to actually prevent collusion and on the layer two? Obviously, we can do it on layer one or layer zero, whatever you want to call it, the, 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 the protocol layer. Um, but on the more fatter protocol layer, the layer two solutions, which actually kind of build their trust off that network, can we use those same mechanisms um, in a trustless way in, in with the same degree of 
with the same degree of confidence that we are getting out of the blockchain right now. Yes, this is this is um, this is very interesting what you're saying, and and uh, um, and I want to to uh, to make a few comments. So uh, up until this point, uh, the companies, or uh, I mean, when you try to actually pull uh, a threshold system, eventually it starts with a, a single company that that writes code. So uh, there you go, single point of failure and and uh, centralized something. Then uh, let's say that you deploy this code. So this company now goes and deploys this code to n different uh, servers in the same company. So again, if you go up enough or, or uh, down enough, you, you'll find this administrator or this IT guy that has access to all n servers, right? So this is, there you go, second uh, single point of failure or, or centralization. Uh, so this is, uh, I mean, one of the claims that uh, I, I eventually took off of the, um, of the talk was the fact that in real life uh, we don't see like a true decentralized threshold systems because uh, to bootstrap them uh, there's uh, a lot of uh, centralization that's going on right now so what uh, probably if we could uh, as, as a society would be able to find a way uh, to have like a threshold system between uh, I don't know uh, companies that uh, on one hand, are uh, incentivized or aligned in, in, the, uh, uh, in, in the sense that they want to, uh, to play honest, and on the other hand, would be not, not incentivized uh, this, uh, to, um, uh, to collude. So this is kind of an open question that uh, I'm asking myself a lot about it. And I, I mean, one, uh, I can say two things about it. So first, there's this concept of uh, ceremonies that we see right now is uh, uh, something that uh, I started uh, with Zcash and, and now Ethereum is gonna is gonna do one for uh, Ethereum 2.0 and uh, this is basically again going back to the fact that you need to somehow generate trust in the world so a ceremony is, is a good way because you find like every anyone can participate so this is a good way to do a threshold I mean and a ceremony is equal equal to uh, uh, a threshold cryptography protocol Okay, this is basically it. Uh, each time Zcash uh, is doing this fork and trying to uh, reinitialize the parameters for the system, this is an MPC protocol. Again, what, what Ethereum will, will do uh, is, is Ethereum Foundation is, is uh, a 1000 participant protocol. It is again, multi-party computation protocol. So this is a good way to bootstrap and maybe we'll see like in the next few years, uh, many ceremonies, maybe hopefully with the, the framework for communication that we are provide that we're going to provide, uh, it will be very easy to uh, to just uh, do ceremonies and uh, you just get a quorum of enough uh, people and they will do the ceremony and there you go, you can get a trustless uh, source of uh, uh, whatever you need. There's another interesting uh, aspect to it. Uh, we can do this kind of um, maybe interesting. Um, uh, mind game, let's say that uh, we want to have uh, a payment uh, channel between us. So again, if I trust you and you trust me, then this is game over, everything is fine, right? I mean, uh, we don't need anything. Uh, I can just give you funds, you can give me back, and I, I would trust you that you'd give them and, and you'd be honest. But of course, this is not uh, a real-life scenario. So the next step is, what if we both can agree on uh, a set of end parties that will run the protocol for us? 
okay? So it doesn't have to be uh, the blockchain, okay? The blockchain is the easiest, but what I'm saying, going back to my previous point is that, okay, the one step above is, let's say we both agree on the same five um, uh, parties that will run the protocol for us. I trust them, you trust them. Again, game over, everything fine. We can just transfer money between us and everything will be fine. Another step is, uh, and this is, uh, by the way, a step that is go that uh, I hear uh, a lot of people from academia that I speak with that are thinking that is going to be a valid step is what what if I trust uh, my bank my bank and another set of let's say uh, four banks and you trust uh, a set of five banks and the banking system is trusting each other meaning they have also the the way to trust each other so again game over because I can transfer funds and I'm not saying using the banking system I'm just saying. Uh, using the, the already like uh, um, social framework of trust that the banks have between themselves. So I trust my banks, you trust your banks, and they will run a threshold cryptography between them. Another step, this will probably uh, would be the last step, is, okay, let's say that we, uh, that both of us cannot agree on, on a joint uh, uh, set of parties, but I, I have some kind of trust circles in the world, meaning I trust, let's say, I don't know, uh, Amazon in a certain sense and, and Google in, in another sense and, uh, and and so forth. And you have your circles of trust. So now we can also run a threshold cryptography or a multi-party computation uh, where without revealing this private information, we, found, we find the cross-section between uh, the parties you trust at the same circle and that I trust. Let's say I trust thousand parties in different circles, you trust another thousand parties in different circles, but there is some kind of cross-section. So we run this protocol and we get to this cross-section between, between ourselves. And again, this is something that, uh, let's say, we got to some kind of agreement. Now we can uh, decide how much trust we put in this channel. Let's say we don't trust it like with all of our money, but we trust it with some. So that actually, I, I feel like you actually missed one in that list. Uh, yeah. Because we had Manoush on our program very early on. Yeah. Very fortunate to have her on. Uh, she explained Definity to us probably better than anybody I'd, I'd heard before and actually completely delted me. I went 180 on that project and now believe they are onto something. Um, and in that in that talk, she, she discussed the concept of, so you said, okay, well, I'm party A and I'm party B and we both want to pick a set of, of, um, of uh, you know, uh, uh, parties that we, we, we mutually trust to, to do our, you know, generation for us, right? Okay. Mm -hmm. But in the Definity model, the network itself picks the nodes which are trusted and that can do the generation. Um, and uh, that works for their, their state machine, but that same model could also apply to just picking you know, just signing mechanisms, meaning that there could be an open network of a ton of nodes, which um, using BLS, you you know, you can select a particular ring signature. You could use, use pick a particular ring signature group of those of, of the nodes that are available at random. And then they use their subset as a quorum to, to, to actually generate yeah. the keys. And like, that's completely automated. doesn't require any negotiation or interaction. You just d decide that you're going to trust the entire network. And by the, the more nodes on the network, the lower risk there is for um, fraud, I guess you could say. 
Yeah, yeah. I would say it's uh, it's the next step, probably. Yeah, but again, each step is is heavier in in computation and in the amount of of uh, stuff you need to do. So I would say that I mean, this is a a very good way to generate like consensus using this distributed key generation. So and once you have consensus, it's like uh, a super strong form of trust. Like it's uh, you have superpowers. You can do a lot of stuff in your system if you have consensus. So they are using uh, exactly threshold cryptography to to generate this consensus. So I would say this would require, uh, this would be like probably one step above uh, uh, what I'm, I'm describing. Yeah, this is like a good analysis. So do you think blockchain is actually gonna be the ultimate winner in consensus? Uh, again, it depends on, on what you want to achieve. I mean, if I want to transfer a small amount of, of money, uh, uh, we want to transfer between ourselves, then uh, uh, you don't need full-blown uh, blockchain, uh, you can probably do it. Uh, and, and I think there was some kind of nice ideas how to do it. Uh, well, let, me, um, let, me, let, me, let me refine that question a little more. Yeah. Um, do you believe that block, a blockchain, as in the data structure, and plus the, that's built on top of the consensus mechanism, meaning the two are kind of intertwined? So you need either proof of work, proof of stake, you know, uh, distributed, uh, sorry, uh, delegated proof of proof of stake, um, you know, proof of storage over time, which I think Chia is using. Um, do you, do you, and that's tied to this data structure, which is a constant audit trail, which builds its fact table and it goes all the way back in history and you can validate all the way to the top. There's some flaws with that, meaning that a blockchain requires huge amount of storage space. It's ever technically ever growing. Um, to uh, to validate means you got to go through the entire history, although there's a certain tolerance for that, of course, as well. So there's a lot of things like light clients and stuff, which reduces this pain. But uh, you have the co problem of syncing, meaning that syncing takes a long time. So if somebody wants to join the network, we got issues. So tying the data structure to the consensus mechanism, to me, seems inefficient. Do you believe that there will be cryptography-based solutions I see Definity is possibly, I'm saying this because I see Definity as being a possible answer to that, mm -hmm. that decouple storage from uh, consensus, and you can just have pure cryptography-based consensus on the current state of a system. Uh, wow, that's, uh, that's a good question. I, I, I mean, uh, all I know is that, is that consensus is, is like, uh, in some cases, it's an overkill. And as you mentioned, there are some kind of, uh, once you get a consensus, so... Uh, the system uh, uh, needs, uh, it's going to be hard to scale uh, and do all sorts of, um, this is why you have this uh, level two solutions. Uh, and what uh, what I'm thinking is that, uh, so trustful cryptography is, is, you know, is, is a building block. I mean, by the way, yes, it's, uh, I mean, if you look at, at how you do uh, today, like in a synchronous system, Byzantine, uh, agreement, you use threshold signatures, you use threshold cryptography. It's, it's a building block that can be part of consensus and it can help consensus and consensus can help threshold cryptography uh, from the other from the other way around. I'm just saying that I see currently like uh, over the past, over the next few years, threshold cryptography taking more uh, place in, in this uh, level two solutions. In uh, You have this blockchain and again, blockchain can be, uh, or, and the consensus can be built uh, in, in, in many ways. Uh, we have uh, a lot of uh, uh, implementation of, of a blockchain data structure. Uh, and what I'm saying is that uh, if you want to tr kind of like do this, a gradual release of, of the trust from the blockchain to the use cases of the daily life, 
uh, I don't know, you want to play a game, you want all sort of stuff like this. Uh, so this is where threshold cryptography can come handy. And specifically with Kazen, we are focusing on how to do key management using threshold cryptography. This is like the problem that we are uh, tackling. Cool. That, this has been a great show. Thank you. Uh, I think this is time to wrap up. Um, we're kind of approaching the hour mark. What um, what uh, what questions should I have asked that you think uh, that uh, maybe uh, we left out? Is there anything that you really want to touch on that we kind of did, haven't gotten to yet? Uh, so one one thing to clarify that uh, uh, I think it's important is about the difference between Shamir secret sharing or secret sharing schemes in general and uh, and threshold signing. It's a very simple uh, uh, difference. Shamir secret sharing is uh, a way to take uh, a secret and to, gen and to distribute it among end participants and parties, meaning that once you go to the signing phase, you need to reconstruct the secret, meaning that you get a single point of failure. In threshold signature, as I mentioned, you are both doing distributed key generation and also distributed signing, meaning you never reconstruct or assemble the private key in, in one place. Okay, so this is like what I think is, is uh, important uh, also to the completeness of the show. Yeah, no, and uh, I, I, I I think Shamir's secret share is something we bring up a lot. And actually on this episode, we have yet to release, but I'm not sure if we'll release before or after this one. I go into some, uh, a little bit of detail or ramble as I'm, I'm, as I'm prone to do, uh, describing mm -hmm. Shamir. Um, my, I think the question that would rise from what you just said that I think you could clarify is where does the actual signing take place then if um, nobody, no one person is actually reconstructing the key, if that makes sense. Yeah, so, so uh, as I say, as I said, uh, the signing is, is uh, an instance of a multi-party computation, meaning it occurs as a distributed protocol. So this is a distributed computation with the guarantees that uh, the keys or the secret shares, the parts of the, the, the one key, would not get uh, revealed to anyone, especially not the parties involved other than yourself. And eventually you get this uh, result of the function, which is the signature, uh, which you can just send to the blockchain and uh, all parties should get this result. Gotcha. And, and so basically with Shamir's, the actual result would be the private key. With threshold, the actual report result is a signature. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, cool. Um, thanks a lot, Omer. This was an amazing episode. I really appreciate you coming on. Uh, sorry you couldn't meet Corey, but uh, he's in Brazil. And so is what it is. How can people reach you? Um, how can people get in touch with you? Uh, so, uh, as, as I mentioned, we have, uh, we started, uh, with a private, uh, release of, of, uh, our application, uh, which will be, uh, completely public on, on the, uh, for iPhone in, in next few, uh, few weeks. Uh, so you can sign up on, on our website at, uh, kazencorp.com and, uh, we'll, uh, make sure that you'll get, uh, to test and, uh, we'll, uh, and to test the application, which is right now what's most important for us. Also, we have a lot of open source going on, so you can definitely uh, should check the GitHub uh, of Kazen Corp. And, uh, and feel free to, uh, to reach out uh, either to me uh, directly or through the GitHub if you find anything uh, in the research projects or the actual cryptography that we are doing uh, interesting, and, and let's, let's work on it together. We have a lot of 
collaborators, which is fantastic. Cool. And the links uh, for all that will be in the show notes. I uh, really appreciate you have, having you on, um, you coming on. It was a good talk at SPC um, and a great talk here. Uh, so as usual, you can reach us at hashing it out pod on Twitter. Uh, you can reach myself uh, at Colin, C-O-L-L-I-N, Couche, C-U-S-C-E. So it's at Colin Couche on Twitter. Uh, or Corey, uh, who is not here today, but is normally on the show, uh, at Cor Petty, C-O-R-P-E-T-T-Y. Um, and thanks, you, you know, thanks for coming on, Omar. It's great. No, thanks for having me.